This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on a special bonus episode of Meet and 3, we find out how Brexit could be changing the way that Brits eat. If you're not getting your food from the European Union, where Britain gets 30% directly, well, where are you going to get it from? As I put very succinctly, bye-bye fresh peaches from Italy, hello tinned peaches from Florida. Bye-bye fresh oranges, hello tinned oranges. Bye-bye free-range beef, hello hormone-injected beef. Tune in to hear about the UK's struggle to stabilize its food system on Meat and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one of your hosts, Darren Bresnitz. We are really excited to be sitting down with Ari, Joe, and Adam, three of the four people behind East Hollywood's Found Oyster. It's one of our new favorite restaurants in L.A. It's a great place to get oysters, lobster rolls, natural wine, hangout, see the disco ball, relax. It's a really great story of family and oysters and everything that comes in putting a new restaurant together in L.A. Then we go deep into the archives to 2017 to hang out with the Winstons, a Brooklyn by way of Virginia garage soul duo. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes. Justifying my 
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one of your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are here with Joe, Ari, and Adam, the GMs, chef partners, and partners, all respectively laid out. <laughs> Just go back and do the math. A found oyster. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Thanks. So, you've only been open for a few months. Yeah. Um, and for those who have not had the chance to belly up to the bar for some bivalves, what is found oyster? You know, I think it, it, it's already becoming a lot of things to a lot of people, and, and that was kind of the intention for the beginning is, you know, my partner Holly and I have last word, and we've been around five and a half years, and, and the spaces we've always enjoyed the most when we travel are bars with food, right? And it's one of those things where you're, you're able to gain a sense of intimacy and casualness because being in a bar, you sit high, and it's just a sense of, like, you're supposed to be there to have fun. Fine, we'll go to bars. Um, but we love to eat, and, like, we don't always just go out to, to drink cocktails, so... Having spaces where you could go out, have a great bite of, of something delicious, and be in a bar environment was really important to us from the very beginning. When we signed this lease, which was in August of 18, the vision was an oyster bar, right? Like, what the skin and look and feel and color and everything about that came as we went. And, you know, during the design process, it was just Holly and I who did not hire designers. And we knew we wanted to build a space that would integrate kind of front and back of house, where you sat down at a bar and your bartender was shucking oysters, where back of house employees would be in a tip pool, and where we would eliminate basically what we call the front of house brigade. So no runners, no busters, and no hosts. Right. From there, the concept really evolved with these guys. Right. Like we first started talking to Joe, and I went out and met his mom and dad on Cape Cod, and like went to the oyster farm, and we started being like, well, listen, there's got to be like this element of Cape Cod involved in here. I grew up in Massachusetts, and so we we kind of talked a lot about that. And Joe had worked with my wife Leah at Bestie and Novell previously. Shout out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's when, like, we really started getting, like, heavy on, like, hey, you know what, maybe we'll, we'll find a way to get East Coast oysters out here and focus on a smaller amount of varietals, and we'll really focus on farmers, right, the same way we've seen with food, but really in the oyster sphere, not just where are they from, but who is actually growing these oysters. And then, really, the, the final part, which really created Fountain, was, was Ari, and we had done some consulting work with him at Aiden, and started talking about this project, um, and really just thought his food and touch and talent and eye for every part of what makes a restaurant great would really finalize what this place could be. And that's, that's really how it turned out. So when Ari came on, you know, we still hadn't, like, picked colors in here. <laughs> you know, like, we basically just built the place to work. And then, like, sure. as Joe and Ari came in, like, we would go vintage shopping and fill in more and more stuff. We hired a color consultant to help us pick colors, right? Mm. Like, it was all really organic and... I think the concept really got to a place where it was like, hey, you can walk in, you can be in a casual environment, you can have Ari's incredible food, you can have Joe's charisma up front, and his family's oysters when they're in season, uh, and then you're interacting with the back of house, which we thought was really important, and, and creates an environment where, like, you know, we know when our dishwasher is, like, washing more dishes, that person's making more money, which I think creates an environment where everybody wants the place to do well, Sure. and it creates energy, which is what makes places great. Yeah, I mean, when this place is, is packed and... Being such an intimate spot, everyone feels that they're all in from back of the house to front of the house. Yeah. Sorry. No real front of the house, but your de definition of a front of the house. Exactly. Um, Joe, so you grew up in Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, yeah. uh, and you've been around oysters for a long stretch of your life. From the beginning of your life, did your parents always have the oyster farm? or no. When did your parents start the oyster farm? Again, 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, but growing up in the Cape, seafood goes hand in hand with that sort of upbringing for sure uh i always tell people it's crazy like we used to go 
to like the bar down the street, the Lanto or whatever place to eat. And it was never like a selection of oysters. It just said oysters, this much money. Yeah. <laughs> like I moved to Los Angeles and all of a sudden there was like different kinds of oysters and I had no idea. Yeah. yeah I get, you know, different kind of oysters, but like different names and different people's oysters. I had no idea. So that was like my favorite part of when we opened the Clam Shack. It was just like, you know, or when we opened, you know, found in general, we just have one oyster. Like this is great, and then we had two, and they were both from Cape Cod, and I was like, "This is even better." <laughs> How does one get into oyster farming? Um, I mean, basically on the Cape. I mean, it's different, sure, uh, uh, in different places. But on the Cape, for instance, like Wellfleet, uh, which is a couple towns over, is like mm-hmm. the famous place. Shout uh, out! Yeah. <laughs> it's where I grew up going every summer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I don't, I'm trying to. Choose my words and shout out everybody now. Uh, it's fine. I'll, I'll just I'll punch you. I'm with not going to name the towns I don't want to shout out. Yeah. Uh, no, but like Wellfleet had a time. You know, it's had farms for a long time, uh, and then uh, from there, there's uh, Dennis and Brewster, Barnstable, East Ham, all the way, and there's like tons of farms, and the state <clears throat> grants a farm. So we call them like we, we call it a grant. Because mm-hmm. uh, the state grants you, uh, let's say in our case, mom and dad in Orleans, a half acre uh, to grow oysters on in the bay. Uh, which the reason there hasn't been much in Orleans for a while, there are some in Pleasant Bay, which is on the other side near near uh, the ocean. Mm-hmm. But the reason there haven't been much on the bay side is because there's no protection there. It's mm-hmm. like very high current. It's like open ocean. Uh, the water's rushing through severe tides. Like you feel huge grass storms yeah. in the winter, like icebergs. It's <laughs> it's, uh, it's gnarly. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, like Wellfleet is very much protected by uh, Great Island. Well, it's lucky SOBs to yeah. Wellfleet. Yeah. You yeah. think you're better than me? Well, well it's crazy. Like you go to the, the Bay Beach and Wellfleet, where I grew up going, and the water's still. Oh you yeah. Go out in Orleans, and it's you feel like you're at the ocean. Yeah. yeah you don't realize you're on the bay. And then does that lead to a different type of oyster? Big time. Yeah. For sure. So I mean, first thing is that uh, the more the oysters are in the water, uh, the more they just gorge themselves and eat. And that's great. They grow faster. No one really knows, but there's that, like, oh, longer growing, slower growing, you know, faster growing, whatever, debate. But the one thing that is true is that an oyster that's sitting in the water uh, for more time is just open longer, a little more brittle brittle shell. Uh, Like, our oysters are basically working out every day, right? Like, the water goes away, they shut, and they're closing their shells getting harder mm. uh, they're becoming like they're getting knocked around by these the things current. are fully exposed how many hours a day six like let yeah probably about, about two six. tides three hours each time so i mean they're getting knocked around by the water too which is great it's just kind of lucky that we're there a lot of people take their oysters out of the water put them in like almost like a cement mini cement mixing thing and tumble them around to kind of chip the ends so they grow deeper and to strengthen the oysters. Got it. it, I always think of it it's like the uh, Ivan Drago on the treadmill in Rocky with like all (laughs) the pads on but it's an oyster. Uh, But ours just kind of naturally get that and it's not like I'm saying oh we just let it do it's like you know my 70 year old parent sorry mom 68 <laughs> yeah mom but, no like, she's not she would not like you saying that no. she's 51 nah, whatever she's, she's the best but like they're not we're not gonna go out we don't have the capacity to do those other things right so we're just kind of letting nature do its not, thing exactly yeah. and that's not just like oh well it has to be hands off it's more like this is all we can do you yeah. know um, 
Also, yes. Wellfleet, just quick shout out, Wellfleet, Dennis, those places, they can drive on the flats with their trucks. Oh, yeah. Mom and dad. They're out there no in the way. No dice in Orleans. Yeah. Dragging a cart. There's a lot of old uh, old laws going on out there. <laughs> you can't, like, yeah. And uh, Ari, you've been involved with seafood for the majority of your professional life, right? Yeah. Um, starting at Legendary Providence and LA straight out of culinary school. Um, what drew you to seafood from more or less the get-go? What is it about it? Uh, well, you know... I guess it really started in my time growing up in Charleston. Shout out. Yeah, big shout out, man. Chucktown, represent. <laughs> Great oysters. <laughs> Amazing oysters. Amazing oysters. Uh, really hard to get. We can't, I mean, we can get them out here, but they're so expensive. Yeah. Because no one else uh, knows the value and the production's small. Um, hopefully one day we'll be able to, to, to get our hands on some of those guys. Um, but so, you know, I grew up uh, in a very seafood-heavy town. A lot of waterways, grew up fishing, grew up just kind of, you know, on the water in some sense, you know? Um, with that said, I was a terrible eater. Like, yeah. I grew up hating food. Like, I really loved steak and potatoes. It's kind of it. Which Chicken is odd that you'd too. be drawn to seafood, because that's probably the toughest hang totally. as far as being a picky eater. Yeah, oh man, yeah. I, did, I really did. Chillfish, didn't eat fish yeah. in general until I was like 18, until I moved out of my house and I started like cooking for myself. I uh, started going out to some, some restaurants like on the West Coast, and I'd always been working in restaurants as a kid, you know, family, friends, restaurants. I started as a host when I was like four foot eight, and <laughs> I worked my way up into the kitchen, you know, washing dishes, and finally got the idea to go to culinary school, um, and the more that I, my pal developed, started eating more seafood, I really just enjoyed the nuance of the art of butchering it and the art of cooking and that's kind of what drew me in. But I will say, the job at Providence was a total fluke. I really didn't even know what I was getting myself into. <laughs> I was so young. And my first externship, uh, which was supposed to be at this place called uh, Norman's, mm-hmm. up on Sunset Boulevard, it's Norman Van Aken's place oh, yeah. back in the day. Yep. Uh, they like went under the week before I was supposed to go on my externship. <laughs> and so I was scrambling. One of, my, one of my teachers was like, hey, man, I'm going to do you a stop. And he got me the interview. Providence and I'm like you know there for a couple weeks and I'm really like starting to really like get the hang of it and looking around and that's when I fully understood what I got myself into yeah I mean you that know? place is no joke yeah it was it was intense but I'll be honest like I, you know I got to go eat there a lot uh, and I think that's so important for young cooks to be able to eat where they cook to really fully understand what's going on with the whole restaurant not just the food but the experience of, of the hospitality industry and I will never forget my first meal problem it was a four-hour, you know, 20-course endeavor. And that's when it finally clicked for me. I was like, wow, I'm somewhere really special. Yep. And I'm going to stay here until I feel like, you know, I've learned, I've got, you know, kind of hit a plateau of some sorts, you know. And I stayed there for on and off for almost five years. It's amazing. And I know that you also spent time at Charleston at Leon's, which is... yeah. If you've never been, it's incredible. Fried chicken, oysters, it's great. That place is an institution now, man. It's a beast. It's a beast. Um, And so with your three backgrounds and with Holly now having the space, how did you guys come together to create the restaurant that we're sitting in? Yeah, I mean, I think what was interesting for us is we, after the absurdly long process of entitling the space and building it, we got hung up on our beer and wine license at the very end. Shocker. Right. So we, you know, we were sitting here, the four of us, and just talking about like, 
what are we going to do? We can't just like open an oyster bar without beer and wine. It's not really what we want to do. And we had like some different thoughts and, and just suddenly I was like, we need to be way more creative and come up with like a concept and do it in here. And so we came up with this idea of the clam shack, right? Mm. And we were like, hey, you know, let's do the clam shack. What was it? Friday, Saturday, Sunday? 12 to 5. 12 to 5. Right? Or 12 to 4. Yeah, right? 12, 12 to 5. 12 to 5. 12 to 5. So, and we just did three days a week. And we were like, let's just get in the space, get people in here, do it during the day so it doesn't feel as odd that you can't have a beer or wine. You know, we don't really want to launch found without – that's a major element of what we're doing here. Um, and so we, we did a menu really inspired by Cape Cod. Yeah, like, you guys. Yeah. You know what you grew up eating. Yeah, it was really Cape Cod. And like, ours made crap chowder. And he's like, dude, like he's never been to Cape Cod before. He's never had. He's yeah. like. And he never will. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> he won't be as good. Well, it's almost like that took, it was basically like, here's New England food on paper. Right? Yeah. Like, and then Ari just took that and made his recipes of that. And then like the scalp tostada and we integrated some stuff of our own. That like really was going to represent found, but you know it was what was the menu? It was the fried oysters, royal uh, oysters, chowder, 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 wedge, clams, wedge salad, steamers, steamers, yeah. steamers which no yeah. one does out here. I mean, Connie and Ted, no one does steamers. They're yeah. really yeah. pain to get out here. Lobster roll, oh, and the so. only dish not to make it to here, <laughs> coleslaw. Which no. I'm oh, still disappointed. Hey, there's yeah. still time. I'll be honest with you, man. It's not that I don't love coleslaw. It's the cabbage takes up so much room. Yeah. And it has zero refrigeration. <laughs> yeah, the whole space is 777 square feet. But that was crazy is that, like, rolling with that, there wasn't, like, we didn't have chowder on the menu. No. We didn't have a wedge salad on the menu. We didn't no. have fried oysters on the menu. Steamer cup. None of that was We had, like, no staff when we did this. And, like, too. people came in, ate that stuff, and loved it. I was like, well, we should probably keep this on the menu. We'd like, yeah, and it started to be like, hey, there is definitely a Cape element. There's definitely a Charleston element. There's definitely like a Parisian wine bar element. And we were like, let's not, we're in Los Angeles. We don't have to be true to any of these places, right? We can just be ourselves. And that, I think, represents LA better than anything, which is people here from LA are from all over the world, you know? And and that was, I think, really like the, the defining moment was just like having to go through that process of doing the clam shack and being like, we don't have to be anything we don't want to be. We can just be ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because some will define uh, oyster places as, like, Boston, you know, like, Union, or San Francisco, like, Swan Oyster. How did yeah. you guys filter it and decide to keep filtering it as something that takes the best of both coasts? Uh, you know, I mean, I think that it's something that just kind of naturally occurred. We are very fortunate to work with a lot of great uh, suppliers. Yeah. that are giving us some amazing sustainable seafood and honestly a lot of the menu has been made up about what we can get our hands on and what you know what we want to use and once again super lucky to be in that position to to be able to um to to make those decisions off of that rather than like you know oh well, this is los angeles so we need a bunch of vegetables yeah. and like I mean, to be honest like it's a very protein heavy place yeah i've got a wedge yeah. salad we've got what we've got a leeks we've got a leeks uh, really really yeah um you know, and and both of vegetables. I think I think too, right? Twenty six seats lets you do just what you want to do, mm-hmm. right? Because you're going to find the group. Like we're very clear about who we are, and so I think people come in here knowing enough about us that the the clientele we have here has been. I mean, we've had crazy repeat guests. People come in like six, seven times in the first eight weeks, and people know they're coming here for seafood. And so I think we we have most people here, and like. No matter what these guys are special on that night, like if it's razor clams, we're going to sell razor clams. Like if it's live scallops, they're going to sell. Like that is what's been so fun is 
source it, and then don't fuck it up. And there's people on Instagram. <laughs> kind of story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> people come in, they're like, Can, how do I know? Like, I, you know, I messaged, like yesterday I messaged five people on Instagram, like, hey, we have Razor Clamps tonight. Because like, yeah. I told them I would. And oh, really? so excited oh, yeah. when Razor Clamps come. That's good DM job. Yeah, yeah, thanks. That's uh, nice. That's yeah, sweet. Thanks. Uh, that's practical. I like that. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about... Um, more of the restaurant, more of the oysters, and then what it means to be a new restaurant here in LA. Cool. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Can you hear the sound of the waves? I can hear it from here. I think I made it. Got another several weeks of this mayhem. It's a rat city. It's a luxury. Gonna call old Kelly and ask her for a thousand bucks She's a future woman On the $20 bill Naked Her breast exposed Just a little bit scared All the Midwest looks What will I be? Who will I be? Kiwi meat Will I stay on fleek or flee? Back to the city Got a couple of questions about the last ten odd years First one Was I there? Did we use the time we all had wisely? Did we squander it? Celebrating everything Posing Fearing loneliness growing bitter Or working For upgrade status someday Oh, what could it be? With neighborhood, with high rise with a view, or cottage in the countryside. How to prepare for a major change? Start selling packing weeks in advance. Would you cry? Yawned last night, comforted by your courage. Would you notify a black Irish goodbye? We ain't playing. We leave in Catch you on the flip side Can you hold the train doors open for a little longer Cause I'm coming had to drop the keys off, sweep into a dummy check Paid my tab Square up with my bankroll friends I get the feeling this is not unusual Waving goodbye to the ghetto birds Must be time for the show First to compliment the millennials It's your time to do the dance Your tongue not up And you say I do, I do Send a shout out all the freelance freaks doing Lord's work, making major moves. The garbage men, the barkeeps, the up all nighters, the nine to fivers. How to prepare for a major change? Start selling, packing weeks in advance. Would you cry on your last night? Comforted by your courage, would you notify a black Irish goodbye? We ain't playing. We leaving. 
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We're here with Joe, Ari, and Adam. And we'll shout out Holly, too. Yeah. Shout out. Shout out. Shout out. Uh, a found oyster uh, here in L.A. So, opening up a new restaurant in Los Angeles, I feel like something pops up every week. Um, but nothing has really opened up like this. Like, this is not another, like, new American farm-to-table type of restaurant. So, how have you gone about educating the public or the press about who you are, what you're about, without them putting their own, you know, their own prejudices on it or, like, their own thoughts on it? Um, Especially because if you've never been to an oyster bar, like, if you didn't grow up on the Northeast Coast or even the East Coast, you may have never experienced a restaurant like this. Yeah, I think a lot of it started from the very beginning, even when we were designing this place, right? And, like, Holly and I, the you know, Holly was amazing, really drove all the design and built this place. But it was like we wanted it to feel very personal, right, so that it didn't just feel like another template, which which that, I think, comes down to, in many ways, just like sourcing seafood, you're sourcing design, right? Like, go out and find things and materials that are from vintage shops or antique malls or, like, you found from your travels and that have real personality, right? And two, well, I think maybe one of the smartest decisions we made in terms of design was not doing a marble bar, right? Which is like on the West Coast, a lot of times, especially in LA, when people hear oyster bar, they imagine marble and champagne, right? And we went wood, which is... East Coast too. Yeah. Well, a lot, yeah, New York, especially... Maison Premier, you know. Totally. Who I love. Amazing. But that is a classic one to think of New England, Northeast. Exactly. But like, you go to Cape Cod, there's no marble. No. Right? It's like, you know, our friends that like drive cement trucks go, I mean, oysters and do seafood and like a plant. Like, this is all very blue collar there. Sure. And so we we knew we wanted an element of that blue collar part of it, which we think is casual and makes people comfortable, right? And, and with that, I think some of the early decisions we had is we know to source this quality of seafood, we were going to have to charge a certain amount, right? Like, it costs as much as it costs. But to balance that, we were like, we need a $5 beer on the menu, right? We right. need a glass of wine that you can get for 10 bucks or less. Like, there, there were ways, I think, to make the concept approachable in that way. That from the beginning, were really the framework for what we were trying to accomplish so that, like, it didn't feel like a place where it was inattainable, especially in East Hollywood. Like, this is a really diverse community, especially economically. And we wanted to make it so that if you wanted to come in and get a cup of chowder and a beer, you could experience this place very differently than someone who wanted to come and do a huge shellfish platter and do those special razors and drink champagne. And you can do that here. You can either throw down or you can come in and, like, have it as an afternoon hang, even if you don't have a lot of capital. Yeah, I mean... Joe, it sort of goes back to you growing up about having this idea of just uh, oyster instead of going to these restaurants where even if you know seafood, I mean, Ari, you know as well, as like you can have a dozen choices and it feels very intimidating. But the great thing about your oyster is that it also has a familial tie and a and location tie. Um, so I'd love for you to, to talk about like what does it represent you to be able to serve your parents' oysters on the other side of the country and make that connection to back home. I, I mean, it's crazy. It's wild. <laughs> I feel very much there, like, most of the time I'm here. And, like, it, it even, it goes as far as, like, we get the oysters in, and, like, I'm, like, unloading the bags, and if I wash off, you know, like, rinse off the oysters, put them on, and I, like, get one of the bags, and it's, like, twirled up a bunch and tied all annoyingly I'm like okay dad settle down (laughs) you know mom will do it just fine and nice but like you know dick is like super over aggressive with the 
Like, I can yeah. just see him like flinging the bag around and tying it through. And uh, but it, it's a it's a huge connection. And like you know, my parents find it like amazing, uh, uh, super cool, slightly hilarious. And sure. Joanne was and in the like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's pumped. I mean, <laughs> they're like we all we all find it so funny. Like you know, it's just a it was really tiny. It's a half acre. We had tiny amount of oysters to start and now you know we're pushing numbers kind of you know we're, we're, we're selling through a good wholesaler now uh and the restaurant is certainly responsible uh for that at some point i mean i used that to get on that wholesaler's <laughs> roster amazing, yeah. and it's like really big for them they can sell their oysters where you know on cape cod there's a lot of oysters being grown it gets really tough to sell your oysters especially in the fall and heading into the winter but it means a ton and it's really awesome it's just like i eat one of those oysters and it's like boom because i grew up like you know the oysters are like a half mile offshore i grew up like you know another half mile or so maybe more from there so it's like one mile it's exactly where where i grew up it's exact it's like a lot of nostalgia tied in well, the whole idea, too, of miroir, right, that, like, oysters are, the taste is influenced by place, just yep. like with wine, and, like, that, because that's still why I love having Cape oysters. When I have a Cape oyster, I feel a sense of nostalgia that yeah. brings me, like, I'm at the beach going with my feet in the sand, and I'm, like, 12 years old, you know what I mean? Like, little, those things. But that's not, I mean, we, when we don't have mom and dad's oysters, I think that's the best part, actually. Some people come in now and say, we'll take a dozen family. And I'm oh like, my okay, God. family style. <laughs> That's like, amazing. Let me have six mom and dads. Yeah. Tight. So, and in addition to the oysters, um, you've gotten a lot of really good early press. The LA Times just came out with a great piece on the oysters, a place in the food itself, uh, which um, has got to be awesome to only be open for a few months. Um, thank you, LA Times. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Bill. Thank, thank you, Bill. Bill. Um, Shout out. <laughs> What's it been like, you know, Ari, especially for you, who has, you know, cooked like Providence and, and cooked around uh, L.A. and all these famous restaurants to see that early press? And how does it inspire you for like what you've done, but also keep you pushing? Uh, I mean, first and foremost, certainly truly humbled by, you know, those words. Um, it's certainly a lot of validation and also just, you know, really, really great to see that we connected um, with with a lot of people in that way that they get what we're doing. It's super important. Um, so, you know, honestly, being written up in the LA Times for me is a dream I had as a 21-year-old kid working prop. Sure. This is something that's now been fully, like, you know, realized in that way, and it feels really fun. Yeah. yeah. Not going to lie. No, and it shouldn't. <laughs> it's okay to have dreams, yeah, and when you hit those sure. dreams, to be like, take that moment, recognize 100%. it. But then also go, how do we keep up that momentum, right? Well, yeah. to be honest, like, the biggest thing for me and what, you know, it's only been a week now, but the thing that I'm coming to is that since people understand exactly what we're doing, yeah. it allows for us to do so much more. Fair. And yeah. that's really exciting because I get to dig deeper and look harder to find products that we can use and are sustainable and, you know, prepare them in simple ways for people to enjoy. And it's things that... You just, you don't, like, the razor clams are kind of, I mean, we talked about steamers earlier, but those razor clams, too, you're not really getting something like that much of anywhere in no. the city. There's just not that many. There's, yeah. It's not that many in the city on any given day, like, to get access to yeah. What type of sustainable products do you have offered to you, if not in the California coast, but on the West Coast, 
that maybe someone from the East Coast has never had? Um, you know, is it like whelks or other types of mollusks? Yeah, like that? it's it's actually a lot of fish, especially in California. There's sure. a lot of black cod and, uh, and rockfish out here. You know, it's actually much more humble things than, uh, than spiny lobster. East Coast, but yeah, exactly. The spiny lobster is a big one, but we have that in Florida. Fair. Rather than the Caribbean. Oh, yeah. They're way more colorful. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it, it, the sea urchin is a huge one. Santa right? Barbara. There's stuff in, in Boston, in Mass, but it's very different. Yeah, I mean, the very sea urchin here is probably well, class, man. Our, one best. of our best totally. offerings. Um, and so to let people know that what you're doing, what is that? Small prawns are another one, too. What does that allow you to do knowing that you don't even have enough room for coleslaw? Yeah. <laughs> Controversial question. Yeah. Well, but like you know, it's it's you have a certain amount of space, so people are gonna right. So like, I see you on Instagram, I read the article, I want to come in, and in my mind, I want to have a certain type of experience, right. which the space allows for. Right. But then you also want to push. Where do you find that balance? Um, good question. Um, you know, I mean, I think really what we've been slowly doing is just developing the the menu itself to carry enough weight that even for some reason, God forbid, we don't have a special on that day. Someone can come in, order off the you know basic found menu, and have that experience, right? And it's you know something that we've been working on building since day one. Uh, we're still adding dishes to that menu slowly, but you know finding these things that are crucial to the experience, putting them on there, making sure that we can get that done every day. That's the baseline, right? And then the rest is just cream. The rest is fun. Yeah. And we're figuring out how to order things in a way that we're not overwhelming our refrigerator so it doesn't ice over and die. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, and to be honest, especially with the product we're working with, it's great because we're just turning it over. Things sure. don't hang out here long. Yeah. No, they you know? can't. No, they can't. it goes really fast. I think, you know, too, like getting, getting exposure like from the LA Times, right, where I think what was amazing about that article is that it really felt like, I think... You know, Bill wrote like a refuge and a party. We were like, that's what exactly we wanted to do. And then there was a line about champagne and Coors Banquet. And I was like, if, you know, like, if we wanted someone to describe like what, how you'd use this place, like this was, yeah, it was comprehended. And so I think it's, it's like the, the basic rule, I think, of all restaurants is deliver exactly what it is that you promise. Right? Mm-hmm. And like if you have a sign on your door and it says like shitty pizza and cheap ass beer, you'll find your crowd as long as you pizza and cheap ass beer, right? That place like, sounds great. It's probably yeah. great. Yeah, it's yeah, awesome. that place great. But if you had said at the same time, like amazing pizza and craft beer and you don't have that, then you're you're, you're going right. to disappoint people. And here from the very beginning, we're just like, we're a seafood place, we're fun, we're casual, we're a bar. So I think when they come in and suddenly, you know, these guys are serving like live scallops that day or sardines that just came in like that morning that still are like in full rigor mortis. They're so excited to experience that, that like they're willing to come and like, you know, wait a little while to get a seat. Um, just to hope, like, what, you know, what's the seafood going to be today? People, I mean, people go for the specials constantly, for yeah. the whole time. Well, I think you know when it's fresh and there's a certain trust established that I may have never had this type of fish or I never, never don't know the preparation. Because um, when I came here and I, I never really had a ton of escabeche in my life. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. and I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is fantastic. But you just go like, I trust that with this small of a menu that... If they're going to put something on there, it's got to be, got to be holding its weight. Totally. But it's also nice to see, you know, to talk about what you talked at the beginning, that to have an idea of what this place you want to be in your mind and then people get it, especially 
at like a Bill Addison level. Yeah, I don't think there's anything better out there like for anyone who like has any creative desire to like do something that when you put something out in the world and somebody describes it back to you the way you envisioned yeah. it, like that is the greatest sense of like just like it's humbling, but it really is you know our point. Like it just feels amazing. It really does. So, with being open for a few months and looking to the future, what have you guys already learned? And how are you taking that into the next foreseeable months and years of running this restaurant? We're already rebuilding this place. Yeah. We're trying to figure out how to get yeah, people a drink while they wait. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, from the beginning, we've definitely, like, we're, we're the kind of operators that, like, oh, there's no, not enough shelving over here? Okay, boom. Like, by the next day, we'll build a shelf. Right. right. Like, we'll have our mill worker come in and, like, come up with all new solutions. So, really, it's figuring out. We think we want to expand wine program. We know sure. we want to expand raw bar. Right. Yeah. We know we want to make sure the experience stays engaging as we get busier and busier and that people really feel um, acknowledged like the second they get in here and that they're taken care of until they leave, right? Um, yeah, I think the biggest discussions every day are actually how do we serve people better? Yeah, you know? sure. Like how, like how are we going to make sure that everyone is going to have that experience, you know? Because it is only 26 seats and, you know, any any percentage of people that we've failed is a big deal, you know? Yeah, it is. Especially if you're waiting. Especially you're hanging, if you're waiting. Which is tough. It, which is really tough. And it, you can see everyone who's waiting either in the bar area or outside. Yeah, you do. You, you do. You know what, though? People are so... People are happy to be here. And yeah. Like just with, let's say, like, we have two people sitting here because there's no other table. Then a four top moves in. And there's, like, a corner at the bar. Like, hey, do you mind moving over here to the bar so I can yeah. see this big party? And people just get up, bring their wine glass, move over there. They feel like they're, they feel like it's everybody knows each other. You know, it's like a party in here. Yeah, and there's a bit of a Bill's words and a refuge. Yeah, and a refuge. <laughs> I think when you go to a place like this, you sort of enter into a specific type of social contract. Yeah, that like this only works if we all work together. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. People are so happy. Oh yeah, down or we yeah. Gotta navigate this place when you're running food in this restaurant. Yeah. Like, it's uh, Tetris. You're Tetrising yourself across the restaurant. Big time. I mean, those are the discussions the whole time. It's like, all right, well, if those three people get up there and we get this two top, we move down, we can move that table here and we can sit. Yeah. yeah it's like the first rule of this restaurant is never just turn around because you're going to bump. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you've got to like, go back the other way, you need to like turn your head, look really carefully, make sure you can turn back the other way or you're going to crush somebody. Awesome. Well, listen, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, guys. If people want to find the restaurant in real life and online, where can they go? Uh, foundoyster.com cool. you can go on Instagram at foundoyster uh, you can go to the corner of Fountain and Edgemont west of Vermont, south of Sunset and where's the valet? valet oh, oh, oh. We, had, we had a neighborhood valet that just was lost alright yeah. well breaking news here on Snacky Tunes uh, <laughs> well, thank you guys so much congratulations thanks, thanks, we have man. another song for the archives and then a live band from the archives or maybe live in real life we'll see what happens when this comes out <laughs> here on Snacky Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org
Third time. Third time's the charm.
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Lou and Ben, who make up Winston's. Welcome, boys. Thanks. Thank you. Really good to have you in Very the studio. Very glad to be here. Yeah. So uh, how did you make it to Brooklyn from Virginia? Um, I, uh... By car, I-95 <laughs> North. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, did you uh, stop? Did you take any scenic routes? Yeah, I think we stopped at uh, Walt Whitman on the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. You did you go direct? Did you, some people will... I mean, it's not much of a road trip, but did you turn any of it into a road trip? Uh, we have. We've done that corridor a lot. A lot. What's the secret? Uh, Timing. Go fast. <laughs> not hit the beltway in D.C. around rush hour. That'll add three hours. Okay, fair. That's pretty practical. I uh, Moving up here, I had, used to have a Ford Ranger pickup, and I totally... Tortoise shell. It was like I looked like a snail. I pretty much had everything I owned and was bringing and just put like three tarps over it and totally Beverly Hillbilly styled it with duct tape and tarps and everything I owned under it and moved up here in a day and got here at like midnight. And what brought you up here or what, what forced you out of Virginia? Um, I, uh, I met a girl playing a show up here and decided I was gonna <laughs> classic, move to New York City. Classic story. Where's the girl? She's at home right now. Oh, really? Yeah, with her two stepcats. Oh, okay. Is she with you? Uh-huh. Oh, amazing. That story doesn't... <laughs> I mean, I feel like the New York stories, you're like, met a girl, where's a girl? Doesn't matter. Ben, how's your girl? What happened to her? I have the same exact story. Oh, really? Yeah. So you both met girls that... Was that the same show, or was it different? Oh, well, okay. Yeah, not the same exactly. No, we were okay. playing with different people. We didn't know each other until we lived in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. But we were living in the Though, same city in Virginia. Yeah, we spent a long time in the Are you same both from Virginia? I was born and raised in Richmond. Okay. Yeah. I grew up in New Hampshire and then lived in Virginia for 10 years. So did the band form because you had uh, similar partner stories, or how did you guys get together? I think we were both kind of starting over in terms of uh, music, having relocated here by ourselves independently. Because you have, you have two different backgrounds, right? Lou, you're into country and bluegrass, and Ben, you've got jazz horn? Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's how I, I grew up. I learned how to play music playing tenor saxophone. Okay. Um, so drums is still an indomitable task for me, but it I mean, came really, easy after like doing like those kind of chord changes and trying to solo over it. I was like, oh, I get to hit things now? Great. I mean, you've, you've pared it down to a, a snare, some a brass, a, a tambo, mm. and a kick drum. <laughs> yeah, there's still metal involved. There's still metal on board. And how did you, uh, how were you convinced to... Put down the the sax and, and pick up the sticks. Oh, it's easier to play with people, uh, and that's kind of what happened with us. It was like, hey, 
you want to jam sometime, and then it worked really well and made us both happy. So, uh, yeah, no one was like <laughs> begging for a sax player in a in a Brooklyn band. Uh, no. And then for you, you I mean, for your background of uh, country I, and bluegrass. I grew up uh, playing cello and guitar when I was little, and then uh, picked up banjo as a teenager, and then got paid for the first time to play music playing banjo, being like a banjo side man. What was the What was the gig? Uh, it was, um, uh, a guy I knew in college who had a band, um, asked me to join his buddy's band, filling it out with like a fiddle player and a banjo player. Was it a Dave Matthews or Bella Fleck cover band? No, it wasn't. It was pretty, uh, traditional, pretty old. There's a huge, uh, amount of, I mean, that's, uh, we were in Charlottesville, which is like kind of Appalachia adjacent and, uh, everybody grew up playing and all their daddies play and all their granddaddies play and there's so many unbelievable musicians around there um and there's every corner bar has a like a crackerjack bluegrass band got it what was it do you remember the name of the band uh the first time i ever i got paid 40 dollars to play in joe mama's pajamas one night at the gravity lounge wow. yeah it wasn't my band i didn't i didn't name it i didn't sing and gravity I- lounge is now a cbs in case you're curious. I am. That's sad. Yeah. That's sad. <laughs> Common tale. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, and how long did you play uh, the banjo before you kind of swapped over to a guitar and started writing your own music? Um, I formed a band probably two or three years after that um, and started uh, writing songs and playing songs I'd written. Uh, um, still playing banjo and doing kind of a heavier rock and roll, mountain rock and roll type thing. And then, uh, what started? Mount, what is mountain rock and roll? It was something we made up because it was bluegrass with drums and electric guitars, and uh, but um, and then just got uh, pr- kind of just tired of playing uh, bluegrass. Um, got got tired of playing banjo. Just got really wasn't good enough to be nuts about it. Wasn't that super into the really technical stuff. Uh, and just was had always grown up playing guitar and was more comfortable with it. So after getting paid to play banjo for a while, I figured maybe I could just play guitar and do more with it. What is the most surprising thing about playing banjo that an uninitiated person wouldn't know that makes it so difficult or hard to master? It's just so much uh, right hand. It's so much uh, finger picking. I mean, you can play it a bunch of different ways, and a lot of people do really... There's like claw hammer and there's three finger style. And, and uh, some people just strum it or play like a guitar... Uh, I was really into Lester Flat and doing the three finger style, and it just—I used to just sit, literally sit on the couch with the TV remote in my left hand and just do rolls with my finger picks with my right hands for hours and hours and hours. It's just muscle memory. Okay. Building that up. Can we hear a song? Yeah. yeah. What are you guys gonna play for us first? This is called uh, Enough. It's uh, the B side of a seven inch we put out February seventeenth on Warhen Records and Grand Jury Records. Great. Here live on Snacky Tunes.
question that you guys sent over to me before the show. Salad. What's the deal? What's the deal with salad? What's the deal with salad? You put everything in it these days. I know. I think it's just they uh, everybody's trying to get rid of bread, so they're just making big sandwiches and calling them salads. They're just like, um, this is a salad. You're like, it's yeah. a pound and a half. I think you've got, you've missed the point. Yeah. It's a, as long as you leave the bread out. It's, it's fine. Salad. It's just salad. So you work over at Greenpoint Fish and Lobster. I do. I, I wait tables over there you since wait. they open. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Uh, those boys are great. We've worked with them in the past. It's a great uh, what, institution. What is a, a fan favorite over there of yours? What And what is probably one of the more underrepresented uh, menu items? The fish sandwich with french fries. It's the best. It's killer. It's the best. I feel like it's one of the best deals in, uh, in Greenpoint. Uh, yeah, it's certainly not the thriftiest thing happening. Other than but, a uh, dollar Jello shot at Capri Lounge, fine. That, yeah, okay. That, I mean, I think we're I think we're in two different worlds yeah. at that point. Yes, nothing could be. Th- Actually, uh, my friend had a birthday a surprise birthday party there, uh, and just cleared out the Jello shots, and it was like twenty two bucks, and everyone was just done. They make for the best mornings. Yeah, I mean, I just I I can't believe like you the drink them in the morning. Is that what you mean? Like uh, you put it in your next pocket. Morning. The next yeah, like just, sure. it's, it's like a to go. It's the only to go type of cup you can get. Bathtub of jello shots. Bathtub of jello. I mean, I wonder where in the um, hierarchy of Capri are you making jello shots? Is it mm, at the yeah. beginning? Like is that, or you work your way up because it's such a backbone iconic uh, staple there? It's like no, no, no. Only Samantha makes the jello shots. Oh, I mean, sure. I think it'd be a lauded position is the 6 p.m. slurp. 
Whoever gets a taste test that that jungle juice. <laughs> I don't know. I watched uh, cro- most of Crocodile Dundee in there the other night with commercial breaks. <laughs> I mean, the place, if you haven't been, it's probably one of the, like, the last havens of uh, best dive bars in, in Greenpoint. That's a good one. There's a couple. Kanio's is mine, if you've ever been there. Ah, never, where is that? It's right around the corner from me. It's oh, no, under Norman. his house. It's in the basement. It's pretty much under my <laughs> it's, house. It's, it's the sign outside my bedroom door. Yes. It's called Kanio's. It's terrific. Yeah. Uh, if you go there, say hey to Barbara for me. Or Lou said hey, hello. You I'll, I'll a, tell her myself. You guys have a recording project in the financial district. Yeah, we were there all day yesterday. Uh, what's the setup and, and why the financial district? Um, a friend of ours who's a, a producer had been uh, had taken an interest in what we were up to next. And uh, we said, let's work with, with you in his uh, room. It's called uh, Full Tone Studios and it's on Fulton. No, I, you didn't F. have to say that. No, we got it. But uh, for, I guess for the, for the people not in New York, yeah, uh, it's oh. fun down there. It's it's interesting. I got into yeah. the I got into the elevator yesterday at noon with an eighteen pack of Miller Lite, and all the construction dudes were in there, and and I was like I couldn't find the door to the basement. And they were like, oh, come to the elevator. I walk in, the door closes, and they push ten, <laughs> <laughs> and then they all just cracked up at my expense. Eh, you know, it was worth it. And is it? I mean, is it one of those things like before five you can't really do anything, but after five it's just kind of no no noise problems, no nothing. It's uh, it's in the basement. There, I don't think there's much down there except for uh, they have a couple uh, mouser cats in the hallways. Yeah, but there's not much going on otherwise. But it's just uh, it's just a, a big room. We're a two piece, so we, we like to. Use all the air, try not to like segment too much. We don't need a lot of space, but uh, we were there for ten hours yesterday tracking for. What are you guys working on? Um, we just always keep working. Uh, we uh, we so we just put out a seven inch. We're thinking our next project is probably going to be a full length. Um, so we just did a day in the studio, and we don't know what we have yet. Um, but we'll see, and just keep every couple of weeks we'll uh, book some studio time. And the seven inch came out, and you mentioned it before, in Grand Jury and Warhen Records. So, uh-huh. how did you hook up with them, and why? Uh, why a seven inch? Uh, uh, we had two songs that we really liked, <laughs> so we put it on a piece of wax. Uh, yeah, Warren is Luke's buddy from Charlottesville for a long time. Real good dude. He used to do um, production at uh, the Jefferson, which is like the biggest. Uh, it's a big theater the, down there. Yeah, it's the nice. Store. And he has this uh, boutique seven inch label. So we were we had been touring. We did two. Uh, southern trips last summer touring and we were coming back from one and booked some studio time at a small studio where I used to live that a buddy of mine runs and uh, so we just went in and recorded for two days because we uh, before we came back to New York and then uh, started sending those tracks around he wanted to put it on a 7 inch and then we and Grand Jury wanted to put it out digitally. yeah Craig and Robbie saw us uh, open for Esme Patterson at Mercury Lounge and we're like hey and we went on we went on tour with her later that summer um, and so Texas, you're like Norm, hey again yeah. yeah we said hey back it was super convenient the, the run yeah. started in Dallas oh, okay. at some point someone so. said yo <laughs> or sup sup and then they just like slid a piece of paper with a shot of bur- two shots of bourbon <laughs> next to it, and that's how it goes. Yeah. That's how it goes. Yeah. Can we hear another song? Plied. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. What are you going to play for us? Uh, it's a song called Heaven's Full of Mules. We haven't uh, put it out yet, but we've tracked it and probably will put it out. Perfect. Not too long. Okay, here live on Snacky Tunes.
I'll start again tomorrow Selling off my days To pay for more That are still in store For me I'll punch that clock tomorrow Take away my needed pay if she wants. I've heard how lucky I am making honest wage. Not worth a damn to anyone. Enjoying. Winston's are quoted as saying, wearing the band t-shirt to the band is a new power move. Explain. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's my friend Najla. She's a gym. We've had a couple of those. We like it. Um, yeah. It's undoing years. Years. 
uh, of the opposite. Right. Uh, no, we got a buddy Fernando who came to our release show, and by the time we started with the first time those t-shirts were available, he had purchased one, put it on, and was in the front row. Better story about Fernando, not to one, try and one-up you, is that <laughs> on New Year's Eve, Fernando proposed to his lady during our set. She said yes. Congratulations, yeah. Fernando. Was he wearing the well, shirt? He was by himself <laughs> at the. No, he didn't have the shirt yet. <laughs> and he was by himself when he had the shirt. But I think they're still. I don't know. I mean, January is not that. It's not that far away. It's a really. It's not that far. <laughs> no, not that far. No, I th- yeah, I think all is well. Yeah. But he. Uh, yeah, that is the new power move. We're buying the brand new band T-shirt, putting it on, and going to the front row. Just so, so they know that you're a fan, not just because you're there, but you're there right. for them. Yes. Right. It does feel good. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, undeniable. It definitely feels good, especially if, you, if you're not the headliner. So they know that they came for oh, you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Boy, like, do we love better. not being the headliner. We were, we were headlining that night, though, Oh, okay. Unfortunately. Apologies. Yeah. So just Fernando, the t-shirt. We and should have not headlined our own release show. That would have been the real power move. That is a real power. Actually, that is a real power move. Maximum humility. I think you play you play second to last. So you're the you're the peak. That's cool. And then you have and then uh, someone else the after plays. party. That's the after party. Mm. That's We've a, had that move before, haven't we? I don't know. How many releases have you had? 3. As many as I can get. Three. Yeah. Oh, in uh clear plastic masks. <laughs> Our first tape we had an after party. It was clear plastic masks. Okay. We were arguably the support for that. Arguably. For your own release party. <laughs> okay. That's fine. So now you're tracking, but uh, any tours coming up, uh, hitting the road? We're going back down to Virginia at the end of this month uh, and playing some shows down there. Yeah, we're going to go uh, play our buddy uh, Gold Connections release at uh, the Southern in Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. going to play most of my stuff around They're going to release on Fat Possum. Yeah. And we're going down there for that, and we're going to be in Jersey, right? And... Yeah, Jersey. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. All the dirty towns. Yeah, Jersey, Philly. Not Probably Harrisonburg again. Harrisonburg, Virginia. Richmond, Virginia. We played a wonderful open mic in Harrisonburg. Uh, were, you booked in, were you booked in for the open mic, <laughs> yeah. or did you just stop by? We were special guests. On uh, the, on we had the, a night the, off, but then we uh, we ended up... We got paid and fed and it was, drank. It was, I mean, maybe I don't understand the concept of open mic, but um, how did you get booked a, for an open mic? Uh, there were, it was open. But you know, other other random people. No, somebody dropped us. out, right? And then we hopped up. We were we had a night off on the road. We had nothing better to do, and something fell in our lap. We it's took it. It, it, it was mic. great. I think it was the best show I've ever played. Ever, ever. Yeah. It's ever? the best. It's the best open mic you've ever played. Harrisonburg, Virginia, Clementines. Yeah, best open mic. No, it's, it's uh, Ruby's. It was downstairs. Ruby's is downstairs, and it's, yeah. and it's now a Dwayne Reed. <laughs> no, don't tell me that. Um, well, I want to get one last question in, or more of a statement before we, you guys take us out. Mm-hmm. Sent from the band, eggs, <laughs> they're just not for <laughs> breakfast anymore. Discuss. I eat eggs for every meal. Yeah. And my cholesterol yeah. is happy. I, uh, yeah, when I, I'll get a dozen eggs and I'll like hard boil half of them and just save them in the fridge for... Just because? Just a quick, healthy I mean, snack. You put, put an egg on anything, man. Right? You could. You could put an egg on anything. You could put it on a salad. Put it on a salad. Ice cream. You could call it egg by itself a salad. Yeah, you could. The classic trump card for you can put something on anything is ice cream. And vanilla ice cream with an egg on top, I think, with some salt would be really good. Wow. Okay. Egg Next. ice cream. <laughs> egg ice cream. Breaking boundaries. Well, uh, <laughs> you guys wait. <laughs> we're going to make sure you guys have time for one more song. Uh, where can people find you? Get the 7-inch. Find out updates. Catch you on tour. Catch Winston, you at open mics. Winston's band 
everything at dot com www yeah everything's winston's band there's an s in there that people can't hear winston's winston's band dot com slash winston's band perfect uh and no article never ever an article no the (laughs) or uh that's just inappropriate. Uh, yeah, it's inappropriate. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would or counteract. These. We it would be can- these Winstons. These Winstons. It would counteract all rooms of grammar and That's leave it. one of you out. Uh, from now on, we shall be known as these Winstons. That's pretty good. Band.com. <laughs> uh, what are you going to take us out with? Uh, this is a song. Uh, can you mildly curse on this? Yes. It's called Goddamn Goodbye. You're fine. Uh, well, thanks, everyone, for being on the show today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes. Take us out. Thanks so much, listeners. Uh, yeah, there's a new one. We haven't put it out anywhere yet, I don't think. But we will. We will. We're putting it out right now. Out of the universe.
is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.